Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. My story um, is a little bit similar to Lisa's. Um, we came here, my family, about 10 years ago, um, but, but really I didn't find my place um, right in that moment. The story really starts about six years earlier uh, when I was fresh out of high school. Now, some of you remember that time uh, right after you graduated. For some of you, it's a little harder to remember than others, but think back. And if you remember, most of us had a similar experience in that coming out of high school, we believed that God was going to do something amazing, or maybe not God, but we at least believed that we were going to be significant, that somehow our lives were going to matter, that we were going to make a difference, that something amazing was going to happen because of who we were and what we were going to do. And I had that burning desire to be somebody, to make a difference, to make an impact, to be significant, to be significant. But my circumstances were not helping me to see how that would play out. See, I was um, attending community college, failing most of my classes because I hated them. I was working two jobs part-time to pay for the classes that I hated, and I was living at home in the room that I grew up in in my parents' house because I couldn't afford to move out. And so while I aspired to greatness and significance, my circumstances said, no, you're just a poor college kid who lives at home. And that wasn't working for me. So at 19 years old, I decided to do something significant, and I joined uh, the United States Air Force. And so I signed up uh, to join. Thank you. Yes, it was a great 10 years. The Air Force was great to me. Um, But I signed up uh, to be um, a a cop in the Air Force because I knew, even before I joined the Air Force, I knew somewhere inside, I knew that I wanted to help people. I also knew that I was scared of heights, so I couldn't be a firefighter. And I knew how my stomach turns when I see blood, so I knew I couldn't be a paramedic. But I wanted to help people, and so I thought I could be a cop. And so I signed up uh, to be a cop in the United States Air Force. And we call them security forces. And and the job ranges from guarding planes, providing security for the base, to writing tickets and arresting people. And so it it, it runs the gamut of of things, all things security and law enforcement. And so that's what I was going to do. And I knew that somehow I was going to be significant doing that. And so I went off uh, to San Antonio to get trained for basic training and for technical school. And and I was trained and I was ready uh, to make a difference and to see the world because that's what the Air Force does, right? They're global, so they send you all over the world. And so I was all excited. And they sent me to my first assignment in Wichita, Kansas. It gets better. That's the town I grew up in. Yeah. So I was going to see the world. And I did get to see the world while I was there, at least the really sandy, hot places in the world a few different times. I did get to do that. And they tell me that the job that I did there was significant. I mean, it was hard to see the significance sitting in a car on the flight line for 12 hours at a time in the middle of the night watching planes do nothing But they tell me it was significant, and nobody ever jumped over the fence except for one deer one time, and we chased him off really quickly. So I I think that we accomplished the mission. I think so. But, But you know, somewhere inside, it just, it wasn't enough. It wasn't significant enough. I thought I had these great dreams that I was going to be somebody, that I was going to matter, that my life was going to make a difference, and it just wasn't panning out that way. 
But it wasn't all bad. There was one really, really great thing that happened while I was stationed in Wichita. Probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. And that is I got to marry the girl that has been my best friend since elementary school. And that wouldn't have happened had I not gone back to my hometown. And we're still married today. We have four children. Um, and that is awesome. And that is probably my greatest accomplishment is staying married and not killing my four children. Um, but... <clears throat> But aside from that, I was just missing the significance. So, so about six years in, I had the opportunity to retrain and to do a different job. And so I jumped on that opportunity and I, I said, hey, you know what? I, I don't care. I just need to do something different. And so the job that had the most openings was in computer operations. And I said, I'll take that. Anything to not do this. And so I signed up for that and I went and I got trained. And, and my first assignment as a computer operations specialist was here at Cheyenne Mountain Air Force Station, um, the home of NORAD. Now, some of you have heard rumors that NORAD has moved. It's not true. Some of the people have moved, but all the equipment, the mission is still inside the mountain, and it will always be inside the mountain. The mountain's not going anywhere, trust me. I was there for four years. There's no way it's leaving. And, and I had a pretty significant job. My job as a computer operations specialist was to support all of the computer systems, all of the technology that provides missile, space, and air defense for all of North America. Like, that's a pretty important job, right? And it, for about a year, I felt pretty important. And then I realized something. You know, the Air Force is really good at training people. And they could pretty much train anybody to do this job. And so I lost that sense of significance. So I tried a couple of different jobs. I tried to go and be a trainer um, in the unit that I was in. And I, eventually, I left the Air Force and I became a civilian thinking, okay, I just, it's the Air Force. That's the problem. Being active duty is the issue. So I need to go and do something different to find the significance. But it wasn't happening. It wasn't coming until finally, one night, on a business trip to Denver, just before my 30th birthday, I found the secret. That God revealed to me the secret of doing things significant, feeling significant, a feeling like I wasn't a nobody, a feeling like I matter. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> At least not yet. We'll get there. In his book, The Art of Work, author Jeff Goins writes this. Maybe. Here it is. As children, we understand the world is a place that needs our gift, a place that is full of mystery and opportunity. We relish these facts. But as adult, we ignore such silly things, and for a time, it works. We go through life focused on comfort and security and social stature, but as we continue ignoring that call that beckons our souls to awaken, we grow restless, and the voice grows louder until one day it is unbearable. And that was my experience. This voice, this call to significance, this call to do something that mattered kept growing and kept building in me until one day it was, it was unbearable. I couldn't take it anymore. And I cried out to God. I said, God, what do you want me to do? And I'll tell you what he said in a little bit. But I think if we're honest, most of us have had a similar experience at some point in our lives. At some point in your life, you felt like you were going to do something that mattered, something that was important, something that the world needed. You felt like your life was going to make an impact on the world. And, and then we trade that in because we believe this lie along the way that says, hey, only a few special people get to do what they love and what they're gifted at. Most of us just have to go to a job that we hate to get to the weekend. We believe that lie and we trade in this sense of purpose for a sense of responsibility and doing the right thing and taking care of our family. And we say, you know what? I don't get to do the thing that mattered 
because I have to take care of this family. And that's the lie that I believed. But here's what I want you to hear today. And here's what I hope to show you in God's word today is that the truth is that the right thing, the responsible thing is to do what God has called you to do. And when you do that, you will find more significance and more purpose than you can possibly imagine your life could have ever had. See, the truth is is that in God's kingdom, nobody's a nobody. In the kingdom of God, nobody is a nobody. God has a purpose for your life, and I want to show you that today. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. We're going to put it up on the screen. You can read along with us there. Um, But before we do that, I want to give you a little bit of background about what's happening here. So there's this guy. His name is Paul. And before his name was Paul, it was Saul. He changed it along the way. And you'll understand why in a second. So Saul had this great job um, persecuting Christians. Okay, it wasn't a great job, but he thought it was a great job. He was a Jewish guy, and he was really kind of moving up through the Jewish religious ranks. And so part of his job was to, to make sure that these Christians weren't blaspheming God. And he thought that's what they were doing. So in the first century, after Jesus had died, I mean, this is right after Jesus lived, Paul, or Saul at the time, went around persecuting, arresting, killing Christians because he thought that they were blaspheming God. And one day, Saul is on his way to a town called Damascus. And he's going there to arrest some Christians and to put them in jail. And on the way, God stops him in his tracks and says, why are you persecuting me? And God showed up in his life and revealed to him the truth that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus is the king. And so Paul then changed his name and he became one of the greatest missionaries that the world has ever known. And he spent basically the rest of his life going around planting churches all over the area. Well, one of the churches that he planted was this church in the city of Corinth. And Corinth was a major city in Paul's day. And so Paul went there and planted a church and he stayed there for a couple of years. But, but after a while, he had to leave because he had to go plant more churches in other towns. And so what Paul would do, though, is he would write back and forth, and they would send messengers, and he would check up on the church on how they were doing. Now, this was, you know, 2,000 years ago, so you couldn't just get on your cell phone and be like, I wonder how my church is doing, right? That didn't work, right? So they would send letters back and forth. And so Paul received word of some stuff that was happening in Corinth, and this letter, 1 Corinthians, is the letter that he writes back to them in response to what's going on. And what Paul heard was a little bit disturbing to him, because what happened or what was happening in that church, is that there were several people who were saying to one another, I'm more important than you are because I have this job in the church. And so there was a sense of arrogance that was coming up, and especially around this idea of what we call spiritual gifts. Now, if you're not a church person, if you, you, know, if you haven't been here in a while, if you haven't heard that term before, if, you've, if you, you know, you're not a Christian, you're not sure about all the spiritual stuff, I, I just want to explain what that term means, spiritual gifts. Because really, we can get hung up on this thing, but, and, and it's significant, but I want, what I want you to understand this morning is that really a spiritual gift is just something that God has given a person in order for that person to do the work that God's called them to do. It's that simple. It's, it's the way that God enables us to do his work. That's all a spiritual gift is. But these guys were saying, hey, because God has gifted me to do X, I'm more important than you. And because God has gifted me to do Y, I'm more important than you. That's what was happening in Corinth. And so Paul writes this letter, um, this part of the letter, to address that issue. And we're going to pick it up, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 4. Here's what Paul says. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. 
Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, we need to pause there for a moment. Because if you're not familiar with Christians, there's a thing that we like to do. And it's not always the best thing. But as Christians, we sometimes will read a list in the Bible and immediately we start comparing ourselves to the list, right? That's what we do. We say, oh, there's a list. Where do I fit on the list? I must fit in this list somehow. But here's what I want you to understand. This list is not comprehensive. It's not complete. And the reason we know it's not complete is because Paul actually writes three different lists. One in this letter to the church in Corinth, one in his letter to the church in Ephesus, and one in his letter to the Romans. And all three lists have some of the things the same and some different. And so this list isn't comprehensive. So I don't want you this morning to get hung up on, well, what, what's my role in this list? I must fit somewhere on this list because that's not the point. The point is, is that God has given gifts and that all the gifts are equal. So don't get hung up on the list this morning. <clears throat> But here's what Paul says, moving on, verse 12, here's what he says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. See, according to Paul, in the body of Christ, all of the gifts are equal, all of the parts are equal. And according to Paul, in the body of Christ, everybody is a somebody. Not only is nobody a nobody, but everybody is a somebody. Let's look at verse 7 one more time, real quick. Because here's what Paul says. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That means every single person who's received Jesus, every person who claims to follow Jesus, every person who claims to be a disciple, who claims to be part of the body of Christ, has received at least one gift. So, everybody 
is a somebody because everybody's received at least one gift. That's what Paul says. And Paul also says, right, we saw that in verses 22 to 25, that really long section, that no one gift is more important than the other, that all of the gifts are equal. So here's what that means in our context this morning. It means that these guys in the back, in the tech booth, that most of you don't even know they're there, are just as important as I am standing on this stage. And that makes sense. Because if they stop doing their jobs, my mic stops working, the lights go down, and the slides go off. And you don't hear anything I have to say anyway. But what they're doing is no more important or no less important than what I'm doing up here. They're just important because they are fulfilling what God has called them to fulfill. Here's another example. When you came in this morning, you were most likely and hopefully greeted by somebody who probably has a gift of hospitality. They just love to meet people. They make people feel welcome. It's their gift to say, hey, I'm so glad you're here. And those guys out there in the foyer welcoming you, they are just as important as the guys up here on the worship team. And that makes sense. Because if you feel like we were rude to you when you came in the door, are you ready to sing to Jesus? No, you're not. And there's one more example. Probably the most important people in the church this morning, really, if we really think about it, the most important people here this morning are the volunteers running the coffee bar. (laughs) Right? But here's what Paul is saying. Every gift is equal. Nobody is more important than the other. Everybody has a role to play, and everybody's role is equally as important. And here's the other thing that Paul says. Or that we can take away from this. You, you don't get to choose your gift. You, you don't get to say, well, I know I'm gifted at this, but I don't want to do that. I want to go do this thing over here. That's not an option for you. Because it's not a choice, it's a gift. So by definition, it's something that you didn't choose that was given to you. So you don't get to choose what you're gifted. It's not your role to say, this is my gift, I'm going to go, I'm sorry, it's not your role to say, I want this gift so I can go do this thing. It's your role to say, God, how have you gifted me? Now let me employ that gift for your kingdom. That's what your role is. And that's what Paul is saying here. And that all of those roles are of equal importance. Now here's the other thing that Paul says. Not only is everybody a somebody, but nobody actually gets to be a nobody. Nobody gets to be a nobody. So that, that means that you don't actually have the option. If you're going to be a part of the body of Christ, if you're going to be, if you're going to call yourself a disciple of Jesus, then it's not a choice for you to just come on Sunday, sit here, hear the preaching, hear the worship and go home and do nothing. That's not a choice that you have. If you're going to be a part of the body of Christ, you actually don't get to be a nobody. That's what Paul says. And if we look again at verse 7, here's what he says. You are the body of Christ. I'm sorry. If we look at verse 7 again, do we have that? Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one of you, you have received a gift. And it's not for you, it's for the common good. So you actually, we need your gift. We need what you have to offer. And in verse 27, he says it this way. That means that in verse 27, he says this. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it, right? So if you are the body of Christ, then you don't have a choice. You don't get to be a nobody. You've been given a gift that the body needs you to use. In, in, in the book of Ephesians, another letter that Paul wrote, he says it this way. Um, book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says it this way. He says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, we could get hung up on some theology here, but, but that's not what I want to go this morning. What I want you to understand is that God prepared good works in advance 
for you to do, what that means is this. That before he called you to be a disciple, before he rescued you, before he called you to be one of his followers, before he brought you into his kingdom, into his body, he had prepared in advance good works for you to do. Which means when he saved you, He had a purpose in mind for your life. When he brought you into the kingdom, there was something that he wanted you to do once you got here. You don't get to be a nobody in the body of Christ. And there's two problems with you being a nobody. Here's the first one. It's for you. God has given you a purpose for you. He wants you to know that sense of purpose, that sense of significance, that sense of calling. And I can tell you, as we have volunteers that show up every Sunday morning in our 4, 5, and K class, and if you go talk to these two ladies in particular, they will tell you that their favorite hour of the week, of the entire week, is 9.30 on Sunday morning. Who says that? Who says their favorite hour is hanging out with four and five-year-olds? Right? That doesn't make sense, but here's why. Because they have found significance and purpose and their sense of calling and they're fulfilling their calling in that hour. And it's their favorite, not because it's four and five-year-olds. It's their favorite because that is what God has called them to do. And you will never find as much purpose and significance as you will inside of the calling that God has for your life. I know this is true from personal experience. See, see, that night when I called out to God and I said, God, I can't do this anymore. I, I need to feel important. I need to feel like my life matters. I need to feel like there's significance. You know what he told me to do? He said, follow me. Well, that doesn't help me at all. Except that it did, because it took me down a path where as I said yes to God, he opened doors. And as I said yes to God, he revealed calling to me. And as I said yes to God, he brought me to a place where I was fulfilling my purpose. And there was a time when I was looking to leave the job that I was in as a civilian before I left there. I was still working as a civilian. And before I left there, there was a moment when God asked me, is this enough? I was teaching a high school class on Sunday mornings. Right? I spend about four hours a week, uh, you know, an hour, uh, hour and a half here on Sunday morning and some time during the week preparing, getting ready for that. And, and he asked me, is this enough? This is all there ever is. If you get to work for the Air Force for the rest of your life and you get to serve the church, not as a pastor, not as a staff person, but as a volunteer, is that enough for you? I had to think about it. But I realized that it was enough and that I could be content in that moment because it wasn't about the job. It's about the calling. It's about fulfilling the purpose that God has placed on your life. It's about doing the thing that God saved you to do. It's about doing this thing. And for me, that thing is helping these kids and students understand who they are in Christ and embracing the life that God has for them. And I got to do that as a volunteer. Some of the most significant ministry that happens in this place doesn't happen with staff people. It happens with volunteers. I have volunteers that are having conversations you would not believe with high schoolers. You wouldn't believe the significance they have in their life. You wouldn't believe the impact that they have in the lives of these students. And we just give this authority away because it's not ours to hold on to. God has called them to do this thing. And I'm telling you, it is for you that you embrace the call that God has on your life because you will never feel as significant as you will if you are in that calling. But here's the second reason that you don't get to be a nobody. Somebody needs you to be a somebody. There's somebody that needs you 
to fulfill your calling. There's somebody that needs you to do the thing that God has made you and created you and saved you and called you and gifted you to do. There's somebody that needs it. A few weeks ago, I was standing in the kids' foyer. That's where I hang out most of the time on Sunday. I probably shouldn't tell you that. You're all going to come find me now. Yell at me about all the things that are wrong. Okay, well, anyway, that's where I am. Uh, you, You know now, so it's too late. But I'm hanging out in the kids' foyer, and I see this high school student. And she's with a volunteer that I know pretty well because she's been volunteering for, for a few months now. And, and this high school student, but I don't know this student. And that's weird because I know most of our students. I mean, even the ones that don't come regularly, I pretty much know who they are. But I didn't know this girl. And so I went up and I introduced myself and I said, hey, who are you and how do I not know you? And she told me her story and I kind of got to know her. And I said, hey, you should come to, to Fuel tonight. Now, Fuel is our program for high schoolers. It happens on Sunday nights at 6.30. Um, and it's, it's a pretty awesome program. I mean, right, right, guys? Come on, it's pretty good, right? So uh, they're, they're leaving me hanging here, typical. They're not even paying attention. They're just sleeping down here. They're, you know, anyway, I'm just kidding. They're, these guys are awesome. But so I invite her to Fuel. And, and she says yes. She comes to Fuel that night, and she meets um, two of our students, uh, Sydney and Samantha. And Sydney and Samantha do exactly what I know Sydney and Samantha will do because it's in their calling, it's in their gifting to be welcoming and warm and not judgmental. And they will be friends almost instantly with pretty much any girl that walks in the door, right? It's their gifting. It's what they're made to do. And so they befriend this girl whose name is Ainsley. And Ainsley goes to small group with them. And meets Angie, her small group leader. And Angie begins to unpack things for her about, about God and about what God wants and about what God has for her life. And after a couple of weeks, Ansley says, you know what, I can't, I can't miss fuel anymore. I, I'm, I'm too invested. I need this. I need these people in my life. So she commits to coming every single week. And she starts coming in here on Sunday mornings because she's hungry for the word. And here's what happens. A couple of weeks go by and Darren preaches a sermon. At the end of that sermon, Darren says, if you want to receive Christ." As your Lord and Savior today, come forward. And Ansley got up and came forward. And she prayed with Jake. And she prayed with Sherry Moore, one of our prayer partners. She came forward and prayed with them. And she received Christ that morning. And the very next week, she was baptized by Angie, her small group leader. Now, now here's why I tell you that story. Not, not because high school fuel is awesome, although high school fuel is awesome. But that's not why I'm telling you that story. What I need you to understand is that not one of us Not a single person involved in that can take credit for what happened in Ansley's life. The Holy Spirit gets the credit for what he did in her life, right? God is the one that was at work in her life, drawing her in, calling calling her to himself. But here's what you need to understand. He used every single one of us along that path. And we had no idea what God was doing. We had no idea what God wanted to do in her life. But if I hadn't walked up to her that Sunday morning and said, hey, you should come to high school fuel, who knows where she would be today? See, somebody needs you to be a somebody, and you don't get to know why. You don't necessarily get to know what the outcome is. You don't get to know that when you greet that person who walked in this morning looking kind of sad, that when you smiled at them, that changed the course of their life because they felt like nobody cared. And your smile convinced them that somebody cared enough that they didn't commit suicide that night like they were planning. You don't get to know that. You don't get to know that when you usher that person in and help them find a seat, you don't know how badly they needed to be in the presence of the Lord this morning. You don't get to know that. You just do your job and trust that God is going to work through you 
And you don't get to know that when you hand that bulletin to a person and they stuff it in their Bible and years later they pull it out and God reminds them of what he told them today. You don't get to know that. It's not your job to know it. But somebody needs you to be a somebody and to do the job that God has gifted you and called you to do because you have no idea what hangs in the balance. And you have no idea who hangs in the balance. So you don't get to be a nobody. Somebody needs you to be a somebody. A week from tomorrow, we're going to have a few hundred kids running all over this building for VBS. I'm very excited. Um, it's coming together well. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of uh, good times with some neighborhood kids and some of your neighbors. And, and if you want to invite your neighbors, we've got cards out at the Welcome Center. You can pick those up and invite people that you know, invite your friends to come to VBS. And some of you have signed up to volunteer, and we're so glad that you have. And we have a lunch today um, right after the 1130 service. We're going to try and get started right at 1 o'clock. Um, feeding you lunch and kind of giving you some training. But some of you have felt the, the call. Some of you have felt God saying, you should sign up for that. Some of you have felt God saying, hey, I need you to be a part of this, and you've ignored it. Now, I understand that some of you work, and, and it's not an option because it's in the morning. I get that. I get that some of you can't be here. But some of you have heard the call, and you've said, you know, I, I just I don't feel like it. I don't want to do that. And I'm not trying to guilt you into serving. I would never do that. But here's what I want you to understand. You have no idea what God wants to do in the life of those kids because you decided to show up. You have no idea what God wants to do, how God wants to convince a kid that he loves them just because you decided to say yes to what God was calling you to do. So, so if that's you this morning, if you've put it off until this point, it's not too late, okay? You can sign up today either online or you can just come to the lunch and we'll get you the information that you need if you want to be a part of what God is doing at VBS. And there are other areas too. I know some of you have felt called to different areas of the church and you've put it off. Don't put it off any longer because you have no idea what God wants to do through you and you have no idea who needs you to be a somebody, right? Now, I know that some of you are thinking, okay, great, pastor. You, you've convinced me I, I need to do something. I need to not be a nobody. I need to be a somebody. How do I get started? That is a great question. Come back next week and I'll tell you. No, I'm serious. Next week is um, called Start Somewhere. So um, be back next week. Next week, we're going to talk about that. That's exactly what we're going to talk about, how you get started, how you find your calling, how you find your place in the body. That's what we're going to talk about. So if you can't be here, make sure that you catch that online, okay? Um, because you're not going to want to miss that, that understanding of how do you get started. But some of you this morning are thinking, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, but you don't know my past. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how messed up I am. You're right. I don't. But here's what I do know. I know that the value of something isn't based on what it's done or what's been done to it. The value of something isn't based on what a thing has been used for. It isn't based on how clean it is or how useful it is today. The value of something is based on one thing. What someone is willing to pay for it. I'm going to say it again. The value of a thing is based on one thing only. What someone is willing to pay for it. And here's what you need to know this morning. That Jesus gave his life 
so that you could be a somebody. See, we're all equal. Even before we come into the church, even before we're given spiritual gifts, we're all equal. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of God's perfect standard. And that because we are sinners, we deserve death and to be separated from God forever. But Jesus, because he loved us so much, said, no, I'm going to give my life as a ransom for these people. I'm going to trade my life for theirs because I see so much value in them. I love them so much that I'm willing to pay the ultimate price to bring them into my family, to bring them into my body, to bring them into my kingdom. And Jesus paid it all. He gave his life on a cross. The death that you deserve, the death that I deserve, the, the death that each one of us deserved to pay, Jesus paid it because he wants you to be a somebody. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan for your life. It doesn't matter what you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus has given everything for you. So right now we're going to stand up. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward. And this morning, there's, there's somebody in here this morning that feels like they're a nobody. There's somebody in here this morning that feels like their past won't let them be a somebody. Hear me now. Jesus paid the price so you could be a somebody. And if you've never accepted that message, if you've never believed that, but you want to believe it this morning, if you want to know for sure that Jesus loves you, that he wants to be your friend, that he has a purpose for you, if you want to know that, then come forward. We would love nothing more than to pray with you this morning and introduce you to a God who loves you, who has great things planned for your life, who has a purpose for you, who gave his life so that you could be a part of this kingdom. If you're feeling this morning like a nobody, Won't you please come forward? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing, and we'll be up here to pray with you. Father God, I pray right now by your spirit that you would convict and convince your people, Father, that you love them, that you are for them. Father, speak to their hearts in a way that I can't. Lord, let them know that you have given your life because they are worth something, that you have died because they are that valuable. Father, I pray this morning that you would call your people to yourself, that you would call us to great things, that you would equip us to do great things for you, that we would find purpose in you, that we would find meaning in what you've called us to do. So, Father, come and meet us now as we sing. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.